0: Hello and welcome to Within Normal Limits, COPIC's podcast featuring discussions of patient safety in the modern healthcare world. I'm your host, Eric Zacharias, a risk manager and patient safety consultant for COPIC, as well as a practicing internal medicine physician. Thank you for listening and helping us further COPIC's mission of improving medicine in the communities we serve.
1: Hi, I'm Meredith Hintz, Executive Director of the COPIC Medical Foundation. The Copic Medical Foundation is a 501c3 organization that is a part of the Copic family of companies. Since it was formed in 1991, the Copic Medical Foundation has provided more than $11 million to improving patient care and medical outcomes. Our goal is to be a catalyst in improving the quality of healthcare delivery by reducing adverse outcomes and supporting innovation. In 2020, the Copic Medical Foundation identified a grant process of reducing fragmentation across care settings. The 2021, 2022, and 2023 RFPs all focus on this patient safety concern. Reducing fragmentation across care settings is one of the most prevalent problems leading to poor patient outcomes, reduced quality, and increased care delivery costs. Through our strategic responsive grant making, Copic Medical Foundation supports scalable and replicable solutions focused on the testing of new ideas or growing existing solutions, then seeing avenues for the larger application to leverage our support to maximize impact and improve patient safety.
0: So, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Within Normal Limits. I'm excited to have today two guests, uh, Didi De Pearson and uh, Vicente Cardona. We're going to talk about the Orange Flag Project. They both work with the Mile High Health Alliance. And uh, it's a really exciting program. But before we jump into that, I want to just get a little bit of each of your background. So Vicente, let me start with you first. Uh, tell me where you where you grew up, where, where you trained and, and what brought you into the to the realm of healthcare.
2: Yeah. So I'm originally from Fresno, California. And how I probably got myself into the healthcare field was my father was a physician. And so I was always at the clinic. So it's kind of like from the beginning, from the get-go, I always grew up in the healthcare system. Uh, So eventually I kind of went to school for uh, psychology and public health and then got my master's here at DU for uh, uh, healthcare management. And I've been out here with the Mile High Health Alliance for about uh 5 plus years so it's been great and we've been trying to make changes and um addressing things that you know sometimes people just um just don't know how to kind of ang- angle everything so yeah
0: and when you're not doing uh wonderful things in healthcare what do you like to do for fun
2: ah uh, yes uh i guess for fun I, i'm i'm a kind of big advocate and uh for like uh social justice for the Latino community. So I, I do that on the side, but also for something fun, I actually love playing soccer and fishing. So um, if I'm not doing one or the other, I'm just cooking. <laughs>
0: out, out, outstanding. Well, I, I like both those activities for sure. And didi and what about yourself? Same basic questions. Where are you from? You kind of your education track and what took you into healthcare.
3: So I'm um, originally from the D.C. area and ended up in Colorado via upstate New York and Wyoming and been out here for about oh, almost 30 years now in the West um, and really like the weather much better here. Um, I have sort of my career in nonprofits has spanned a lot of issues. My master's is in nonprofit management. Um, But particularly, I used to work more in direct services. And as my sort of career evolved, I got more and more interested in moving upstream and looking at systems and system solutions, um, as opposed to like just providing direct services. Um, But how do we change the things that contribute to the need for direct services? So um, healthcare is a big systems change and a big problem and I tend to like those. I've worked in private or commercial insurance market reform with the um, Colorado Consumer Health Initiative for about seven years and now I'm sort of working more on the public insurance Medicaid side where I've been here for about seven years.
0: Well the good thing about the American healthcare system is that there's plenty of opportunity as we like to say in in the professional world. And so when you're not working on this this great opportunity for for what do you like to do for fun?
3: Well, not unlike uh, Vicente, I'm involved in a lot of sort of social justice types of things. I've done a lot of tutoring. And then I have a whole variety of interests that are likely to result in me needing the healthcare system, specifically whitewater kayaking, mountain biking, and snowboarding. Um, and so the healthcare system is near and dear to my heart. <laughs>
0: Well, those those are important activities for I gotta step up my game. You know, I, you know my free time, I just, I just lounge around and do stuff for myself. You help others, and then in your free time you help others. So pretty admirable for for both of you all. So before we talk about the orange flag, maybe um Didi, I'm gonna start with you on this question. What what is the Mile High Health Alliance?
3: We're uh, well. We're seven years in now. We're just starting seven years, so I can't say we're new new anymore. But really, we were founded in response to a set of recommendations in Denver's first community health improvement plan, um, which was required by the state through new legislation in 2013. Um, And there was a set of goals around access to care. Um, And so really it's a coalition of health sector, but then beyond health sector, local government, human services, social services, organizations that are focused on improving access to care and health outcomes for people with lower incomes in the city and county of Denver. So it's really the safety net um, coming together to try to solve issues at the systems level, not organization by organization.
0: Got it. All right. Well, then that begs the question for the Orange Flag Project and Vicente, you're up. And by the way, if if this uh, going back and forth, feel free to delegate to your uh, to your colleague if I ask the wrong person or one of the other of you has better expertise. But just in order of operations here, Orange Flag Project, Vicente, what is the Orange Flag Project?
2: So, yes, so the Orange Flag Project kind of came about from one of our uh, high needs work groups. And one of the issues that not only this work group, but within our members, were really these high utilizers patients. And we were trying to figure out what are some ways in which we can address this on a grassroots and kind of a systems level, as we mentioned before. Um, so we're very fortunate to be partnering with uh, Civic, which is Centers for Improving Value in Healthcare, and curio which is now Contexture, in kind of generating this real-time kind of list of uh, high utilizers within the Colorado Access kind of network. And then this, once they generate this list, these high utilizers are then identified and f- used in a flag kind of um, kind of within the EHR system for, um, for, as a notification, like, hey, this patient right here has been going into the hospital at least two to three times within, uh, a two month span. And so this right here will kind of identify for not only the EH doctors, but, uh, you know, nurses to kind of intervene and kind of go into these intervention protocols to best kind of direct them to the services that they need. So that's a little bit of the overall of the, uh, the orange
3: flag project, but Didi, is there anything that I may have missed? I would just say that the orange flag is the term we used but the flag within the patient um, record isn't necessarily an orange flag it's sort of a placeholder right but it's some sort of marker that Korea will use to push the notification into the emergency department staff um, that this person is a very high utilizer and that we want to capture them in a kind and loving way. And I think the thing that's hard to see right now in the patient record is easily and quickly see that this person has been bouncing around from ED to ED in the Denver area, um, and that you know they were at St. Joe's three days ago and Porter behind, before that and Denver Health, and that we really need to, while they're still in the emergency department, um, start connecting them with services right away and moving them into a more, more appropriate care setting.
0: And I'm going to take a, a wild stab here, just by way of background, I'm an internist. And so uh, I'm going to guess that the, some of the more standard type diagnoses might be you know, someone with diabetes and they've had uh, difficulty getting their medications or taking their medications properly. And so they come in frequently with complications of diabetes or perhaps somebody with asthma who has uh, high occupational or situational exposure and then doesn't have a primary care doc so comes to the emergency department with flare-ups or maybe has inflammatory bowel disease and can't afford the biologics and so their guts are are a wreck and they wind up with a hundred thousand dollar hospital bill rather than a thousand dollar infusion. Am I on the right track there? What, what kind of diagnoses? Well,
3: I'm going to say, actually, that's a little bit different than what you brought up. Um, I think there are the things we did a small data sharing pilot and did a chart review um, that sort of launched the Orange Flag project. Um, And in that chart review, we came down to 40 very, very, very high utilizers. Um, and about 80 to 85%, if I'm remembering correctly, um, had a behavioral health diagnosis. So there's a very, very high, like there are comorbidities, but there's a very high behavioral health, substance use disorder, mental health um, sort of diagnosis associated with these very, very high utilizers. And we know also from some work that Medicaid and healthcare policy and finance did. Um, uh, some um, analysis done by Health Management Associates that in Denver pre-COVID, 58% of ED admits are driven by alcohol or alcohol-related. So I think the answer is yes to some of what you're talking about, but a huge amount of behavioral health substance use disorder and a huge amount of alcohol.
0: And so why don't they just see their psychiatrist on a daily basis? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, um, well, one, there's an access issue right there, as uh, a lot of people um, know about the healthcare system. But two, it's just like, in order to have these kind of conversations or to kind of direct them, some of these individuals need a home address as well. And so a lot of these individuals don't even have a home address. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to connect them to the resources they need. And so one of the issues and one of the things that we're trying to kind of um, address is how do we get those patients to a primary care physician the day of, right? Like a fast pass, like just like Disneyland, right? How can we get them from the ER to the primary care physician right away? Because once they get out and they're like two or three days of just waiting, they're not going to come back. And there there's we talked to multiple physicians and they were like saying, Yeah, like we try to get them within two or three days and they never come. Right. And so that's what we're trying to do. And I think that's some of the issues that we have been um hearing amongst um providers and ER doctors as well.
0: And for those of you who are new to the program, that was my attempt at ironic humor. Uh there is uh no such thing as the ability to get somebody into a psychiatrist on a regular basis. I I take care of highly insured, highly educated, highly employed, highly affluent individuals who I cannot get into a psychiatrist in a timely fashion. And you're working in a a safety net situation. So uh, you two, of course, appreciate the absurdity of that. I just don't want anybody listening to this to think I'm an absolute moron. Uh, (laughs) You know, say, too, it is,
3: you know, alcohol is a particular third rail right? Because we have the fewest resources for alcohol and the most need, right? And that's because politically, socially, like legally, all the reasons, uh, folks are just really um, reluctant to sort of step into the space and have the hard conversations around alcohol um, and generate the resources we need to uh, uh, really affect the access to care and services.
0: I, I really learned a lot about that during my training at the safety and hospitals. It was Denver General at the time, the Denver Health System now. But uh, I appreciated uh, the impact of alcohol and the social impacts on uh, you know high needs populations. But I had no idea until you actually work in the healthcare system how just uh, pervasive and destructive it it can be. So uh, good on you for for making that a, a top priority. And so. Uh, how does systems benefit from this? I'll let you two decide, but how does the health system benefit uh, from this orange flag project?
3: You want to take this on, D.D.? I'll take that one. (laughs) I mean, first of all, it's the right thing to do, right? Like recurrent people coming into the emergency department is not good. It costs the system, it has poor health outcomes, and it costs people right money too. But there's some other reasons, particularly because Colorado is a state that is driving innovation and systems change through Medicaid payments. And so particularly the hospital transformation program um, has a set of metrics around ED readmits and uh, you know other types of patient outcomes and connecting people to primary care. Um, and hospitals are increasingly going to be held accountable right, for those ED admits, as are the regional accountable entities, right, our sort of semi-managed care situation through the regional accountable entities who are responsible for case management care coordination for Medicaid members. So really, you know, it's one of the Denver's, uh, the governor's wildly important goals. It's a priority for Medicaid. It's a priority for almost everybody to reduce these unnecessary ED admits.
0: Well, it's, as you mentioned, it's it's good for humans first, and it's good for the systems as well, and those aren't mutually exclusive, and unless you're a, a sociopath, I can't imagine you wouldn't think that this was a, a good idea to try to help out uh, both, those, uh, both those areas. So, uh, who are the other organizations uh, that are working with you on this? Who maybe inspired you to, to focus on this, and who are the other groups that you're involved with in this space?
2: Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're just so grateful to be like working and partnering with uh, Civic, which is obviously the center of proving value in healthcare, uh, care, and Colorado Access, Denver Health and Hickpuff. And so these are it's amazing because it's like it is there's so many different entities coming together to really talk about these issues and try to address it. And this just really highlights the importance of this high utilizer population. And we know this is not just a Denver thing, but this is not even a Colorado thing. This is a nationwide kind of uh, problem where just high utilizers just kind of Overusing the system and kind of putting a lot of burden to the hospital systems and not only the hospital systems but like other systems as well and so i, I think uh, as again we're just so grateful to be partnering with these individuals and organizations because we're getting different viewpoints we're getting different kinds of views on terms of payment uh how we go about you know coding and everything and just kind of like hey have you thought about this and you know just from different walks of life coming together and trying to address one problem is really what collaboration is all about. And so that's what we're, our organization is funded, our our foundation is on. And so I'm glad that we're kind of really living up to our, our mission, really.
3: Yeah, and I'll add two. First of all, there's also an individual I'd like to recognize, Dr. David Brody, who was at Denver Health for a long time and worked with their Medicaid managed care program, has been a really key consultant on this and contributed a lot. And I think one of the, there's definitely been a lot of excitement, particularly through the between the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare, which has, you know, sort of claims data, historic data, and Contexture, which has current data, right, to be collaborating on some of this and, and using it in a way to really achieve some significant outcomes or impact on high utilizers.
0: And to put a plug in for my own organization, the Copic Medical Foundation has been involved with, with a grant to uh, to help you all out. So. Uh, this is asking for praise. It's uh, tell me something <laughs> good about myself. Uh, what is the what is the funding from the Copic Medical Foundation going towards? Perhaps it's one more oar in the boat, helping drive it forward. But what areas might that that might that money be used to uh, to help you out in what you're doing?
3: You know, it's it's two big pieces. One is just like the resource of time, right? We had this project in development. But as a small organization, it's hard to commit a lot of time to it, right? If that time isn't paid for, essentially, right? Um, And while we're supported by member dues, which is awesome, at some point it's a big enough piece that we need other funding to move it forward. And the other thing is simply to um, work with our partner organizations um, to pay them for their time, right? Like a data poll at the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare from their all-payer claims database is not nothing right? It was a lot of work for them to figure out what were the grouper codes they were going to use to like identify this patient group. Then they have to send it to Colorado Access, Colorado Access is sent it to Rio. Like it's a lot of time for everybody. And so some of the funding has gone to our time and some of the funding has gone to the time for our partners.
0: Well, it certainly is a worthwhile organization to be helping fund. And how are you going to measure if this is successful, or what does success look like? Uh, you know, again, I appreciate the fact you're not going to change the entire U.S. healthcare system overnight, but <laughs> changed uh, piece by piece, and uh, doing good in your community is sometimes uh, just a, a phenomenal accomplishment. So. What, what does that look like? How do you measure it? Are, are you going to have metrics? Are you going to get data that you can share with others? Or what what are we going to what are we going to see coming from you all?
3: Well, I'll say first, you know, um, a lot of the work has been creating these relationships, as I think probably you can appreciate and probably a lot of folks that listen to your po- podcast, moving patient data from Civic to Colorado Access to Careo to emergency departments um, required a level of BAAs and conversations, sorry, business associate agreements, MOUs and conversations just to sort of get that permissions and get that workflow. Um, We're also at the part where we're working with Contexture to say, okay, how do we use the like ADT push notification, admit discharge transfer push notification, how do we use that in a different way into the EHR? So there's a lot of process pieces around this um, that we're pretty excited about. And then I think on the back end, we'll be able to, I don't think in the time frame for this, we'll be able to see the long range outcomes, but we'll start to see how folks are implementing and finding these folks in the ED while they're still there and start to initiate protocols that can improve um, their health outcomes.
0: That's great. So I'm gonna ask one of you or both of you to email me, some links to your organization, what you're doing, places where individuals who are listening can find more information about what you're doing, and we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Anybody's listening who has a billion-dollar foundation and is looking for organizations to support, uh, certainly this is an organization that's doing the right thing. It's trying to help out our community, help out vulnerable people, and the people that are doing it when they're not doing this they're helping out people in other ways so it's really it's really exciting what you all are doing and i i appreciate your spending time with us to uh, to share what your organization is doing with this orange flag project
3: thank you so much for having us it's so exciting uh, we're excited about the project so it's always great to have an opportunity to talk about it and to share it with other people yeah and again thank you
2: all for listening and if you guys just want to just contact us and just have a better understanding of what we do or what the Orange Flag Project is. We are, we are all open ears. And thank you again for Copic for al- allowing us to kind of really fund this project and really move forward. And hopefully we move the needle on this, um, this healthcare care uh, issue
0: right here. All right. Take care. Thanks for your time. Thanks take again. Care. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Scambotti, a colorectal surgeon and medical director of Copic thanking you for being a listener. We hope you find Within Normal Limits to be interesting and informative as we at Copic continue with new ways to bring you
1: content relevant to our mission. Please email us at wnlpodcast at copic.com with show ideas or topics
0: you would like to see addressed in future episodes of Within Normal Limits, Navigating Medical Risk. Also, Please subscribe on your podcast
1: platform of choice so
0: you don't miss any of our content. And while you're at it, please give us a rating if you enjoyed our show.